Good day. We are delighted to have you with us joining our adventure of reading through the Bible in one year. Today is April 14th. This is episode number 104 of the One Year Bible Tour. We are making much progress as we are now in the book of Joshua, learning the importance of obedience and an ongoing walk of faith if we are to possess what is deeded to us in the New Covenant Promises. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and it is my joy to serve as tour guide and to point out the significance of historic happenings in the Old and New Testaments, but also to see how there are applications for our lives today. So after each reading from our daily portions of the Old and New Testaments, we will take a few moments to point out features that you want to be sure not to miss. And as usual, we will make our daily stop for refreshment as we drink from the pool of the psalmist's heart cries in the Bible's songbook, the Book of Psalms. And we also will take a proverb pill to ward off patterns of thought and behavior that can so easily trip us up. We set out today in chapter 9 of the Book of Joshua. As we read about the conquest of Canaan, we learn strategies that are often waged against the people of God. Our reading today deals with the war in the south of Canaan, and the ploy of the Gibeonites to deceive Joshua and his men. So let's begin with Joshua chapter 9, beginning with verse 3. And I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning, and went and made ready provisions, and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet, and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. We have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, and made a covenant with them, to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors, and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Sipharah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jearim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. 
But all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you, when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants, for a certainty, that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them, and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day, in the place that he should choose. Chapter 10. The Sun Stands Still. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Joham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth-Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth-Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Asakah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Joshar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since, 
when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. Five Amorite kings executed. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makkedah. And it was told to Joshua, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makkedah. And Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makkedah. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave, and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so, and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves, and they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it, and its king, with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, and he did to the king of Makeda just as he had done to the king of Jericho the conquest of southern Canaan. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel, and he captured it on the second day, and struck it with the edge of the sword, and every person in it, as he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Lachish to Eglon, and they laid siege to it and fought against it and they captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. And he devoted every person in it to destruction that day, as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against it and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword, and its king and its towns and every person in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Eglon, and devoted it to destruction and every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned back to Debir and fought against it. And he captured it with its king and all its towns. 
And they struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, just as he had done to Hebron and to Libna and its king. So he did to Deber and to its king. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negeb, and the lowland and the slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. And this is the end of today's reading from the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we've read. I think it is essential to review what was happening at the end of our Old Testament reading yesterday in Joshua chapter 8. After their victory at Ai, in Joshua 8 verses 1 through 29, Joshua and the new generation marched 20 miles north to Mount Ebal. There they were to renew the Mosaic Covenant, in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35. They built an altar and made a copy of the law as commanded by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 4 to 6. So it shall be, when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. Deuteronomy 27 verse 8. The Israelites renewed their covenant commitment to the Lord at Mount Ebal, reciting the curses and blessings of the law as commanded by the Lord through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 27 verses 11 through chapter 28 verse 68. But notice, as soon as the children of Israel renewed their covenant, submitting themselves to obey the rule of God as made known through his revealed word, the Amorite kings unite against them to plot their downfall. The biblical text links the fresh consecration of the Israelites at Mount Ebal with the plan of the five Amorite kings to attack the Israelites. This historical event provides a typical illustration of how the enemies of the believer resent any fresh consecration to the Word of God. They will express their hostility to the Lord and those dedicated to serving Him with an outright attack. In Joshua chapter 9, verse 1, As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan heard of this, that is, the children of Israel recommitting themselves to God with fresh submission to His law, as we read about in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. The principle is this, the enemy hates it when we give God his rightful place in our lives. As Lord, Jesus is worthy of our obedience. As Savior, he is worthy of our trust. There is a similarity between the unification of the five disparate kings against the law-embracing Israelites to the unification of the priests, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees of the apostate Judaism of Jesus' time against Jesus, the incarnate lawgiver. A.W. Pink writes, quote, 
While he healed the sick and provided the multitude with loaves and fishes, their hostility was held in abeyance. But when he pressed upon them the claims of his lordship, defined in terms of discipleship, and made known the character and requirements of his kingdom, their resentment soon flared up. Not only did he come unto his own, and his own received him not, but his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this one to reign over us. Luke 19, verse 14, end quote. Even former rivals, Pilate and King Herod, became friends when they were confronted with the incarnate lawgiver. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. Luke 23, 12. While the five kings were planning to attack the Israelites, having heard of their consecration to discharge by grace their obligations to the law, the Gibeonites were hearing about the astounding victory that the God of Israel had given his covenant people at Jericho and Ai. In the book of Joshua, the events we read are not the work of fiction or the legends of a tribal religion. The other nations at the time were very aware of what was happening and postured themselves accordingly. We read about the deception of the Gibeonites. Joshua and his men are deceived into making a treaty with the Gibeonites of Canaan. Gibeon was a larger city than Ai and known for its fighting men. Joshua chapter 10 verse 2. As mentioned earlier, the cities of Jericho, Ai, and Gibeon were Canaanite military outposts. Yet when the Gibeonites heard of the supernatural nature of the victories of the Israelites, they feared for their lives and pretended to be ambassadors from a far country. They disguised themselves as those who had been on a long journey. They wore tattered clothes, shoes, and carried old stale bread. Instead of dealing with their enemies as instructed by the Lord, the Israelites are deceived and make a treaty with the Gibeonites under these false pretenses. The church of the Lord Jesus needs to exercise discernment and be careful not to receive into membership those who profess to be believers in Christ but have no genuine testimony of repentance and saving faith. It is true that even in wrath God remembers mercy and offers it to those who will submit to His terms for peace. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 10 reads, When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. But in this case, the Lord's instruction is clear. In Exodus chapter 34 verse 12 through 16, Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Otherwise you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice, and you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. The failure of the Israelites is spelled out. Joshua 9, verse 14. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. We are to be mindful that we are dealing with satanic strategies, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Joshua and the Israelites bind themselves to the oath that they made to let them live. 
Three days later, they discover that they have been deceived, but they do not attack the Gibeonite cities because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath. The whole assembly grumbles against the leaders for being so foolish. They resolve to let the Gibeonites live but serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. The five kings are irate when they learn that the Gibeonites had made peace with the Israelites and now were sided with them. They decide to attack Gibeon. The good news is that Joshua hears the Lord speaking to him once again. In response to the word of God, Joshua goes up from Gilgal to defend Gibeon from its attackers, and he witnesses the Lord acting on his behalf. In Joshua 10, verse 10 and 11, And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by the way of the ascent of beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. As they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of beth Horon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. The Lord also provides extra daylight in answer to prayer so the Israelites could totally defeat the Amorites. It's a bold prayer request if there ever was one. Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Joshua 10, verse 12. We may not know the specific details of what happened, only that the Lord heeded the voice of a man in prayer, and there has been no day like it before or since. Joshua 10.14 The five kings flee and hide in a cave, but are eventually apprehended by Joshua and his commanders, who are told to put their feet on their necks. This act, Joshua says, is symbolic of what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Remember, God had been patient in bringing judgment upon the Amorites and their detestable practices, including child sacrifice, horrific perversions, and violence. He had waited 400 years for them to repent. How do we know this? God gave this promise to Abraham concerning his descendants, prophesying their 400-year Egyptian captivity, and that during this time he would be delaying the judgment upon those who inhabited the promised land until they had fully expressed their iniquity. In Genesis 15:14, But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then, in the fourth generation, they will return here, that is the land of Canaan, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete." We see that the prophecy comes true as the Lord hands over the cities in the promised land, first Makeda, then Libna, then Lachish, then the land of Gezer, or Horam, then Eglon, Hebron, and Debir. In Joshua 10.42, Joshua captured all these kings and their lands at one time because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Now let's go to our reading from the New Testament. We're in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, verse 19, into chapter 17, up to verse 10. Luke 16:19, The Rich Man and Lazarus There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Chapter 17 Temptations to Sin And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to Luke. Let's review what we've read. Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man has wealth, comfort, friends, and has made a name for himself in this life. But when he dies, he has no wealth, no comfort, no friends, and no name. He who was clothed and dined in luxury finds himself in hell, tormented in unquenchable fire, thirst, and hunger. The beggar, named Lazarus, meaning God has helped, at the rich man's gate, was covered with sores and lived in poverty and continual hunger. He received more sympathy from the dogs who licked his sores than he did from the rich man who had food to spare that he refused to share. When the beggar dies, he receives an angelic escort to the paradise section of Hades, where he is received at Abraham's side. There his name abides. His name is known. Lazarus, God has helped. And he is comforted, enjoying fellowship in his eternal reward. In the agony of hell's fire, 
The rich man sees Abraham afar away in paradise with Lazarus at Abraham's side. He addresses Abraham as father and asks him to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool his tongue. Abraham replies to the rich man with the endearing term, son. Jesus would not tell a story that would mislead us. Hell is real. Jesus spoke about it often, more than he did about heaven. He tells us that our deliverance from God's just punishment comes through faith in God's testimony given in His Word. The rich man learns that Lazarus cannot comfort him because the chasm between hell and paradise is uncrossable. He begs Abraham to send Lazarus to his father's house and warns his five brothers of the danger of hellfire. The rich man says, If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham replies that his true sons in the faith repent because they believe the word of God. In verse 31 of chapter 16, But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus goes on to teach that we are responsible not to tempt or mislead others, either by word or example. In Luke 17 verse 1, His followers are called to a supernatural lifestyle involving total instant forgiveness if your brother sins against you and repents. In Luke 17.4, we are called to supernatural faith. In verse 6, living this God-glorifying way is our joyful duty, for we are children of our Father and our spirit-empowered service and response to situations are to be expected. In verse 10, we're only doing what we are told. To God be the glory. Now let's read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 83, verse 1 through 18. Psalm 83, O God, do not keep silence. A song, a psalm of Asaph, beginning with Psalm 83, verse 1. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Ashur also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmanah, who said, Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. O my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze. So may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. And that's the end of today's reading from the book of Psalms. This psalm, Psalm 83, was the last of the Asaph psalms. It speaks of unrelenting pressure. Israel, in the coming day, will be in the winepress. A Gentile coalition wants to wipe Israel off the map. In verse 4, 
So the psalmist calls God to speak and act on behalf of his covenant people and put his glory on display, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. So be it. And now we go to today's proverb, another warning to the lazy in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. There is a rich blessing when we actively pursue God's purpose, diligently stewarding our God-given roles and responsibilities. However, in the final analysis, there is nothing gained of a reward for the lazy. Let's commit what we have heard and learned today to the Lord and entrust ourselves to His grace to make us doers and not just hearers only. Heavenly Father, You are the most gracious God. Thank You for giving us Jesus, our greater Joshua, who has provided for believers His shared inheritance. He is our captain, and we trust He will strengthen us for the battle and enable us to stand secure in His victory. Grant us discernment and keep us from presumptuous sins and from leaning on our own understanding. Grant us the wisdom to avoid the pitfalls of deception. Embolden us to warn others that there is a heaven to seek and a hell to shun. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in this year's Bible reading tour. I hope you're finding it helpful. There are some who say that you read the Bible just as you would any other book. What they may be missing is that the Bible is not just like any other book. It is distinct in its revelatory nature and requires the illumination of the Spirit. You remember that Jesus opened the eyes and set the hearts of his disciples ablaze after he rose from the dead and met with them on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24. There he explained the scriptures to them and gave them understanding. Our prayer is that he will continue to be at work opening our eyes and setting our hearts on fire. If this podcast is a blessing to you, or if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you, and you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And you can learn more about the ministries of New Life at our website, newlife.org, and also subscribe to a free daily email with a written commentary with charts and maps and pictures that help you navigate your way through the one-year Bible readings. The website's easy to find, newlife.org. And don't forget to let others know about this podcast. Responding, indicating a like, or clicking subscribe wherever you get your podcasts will help us in our mission to spread the word and the love of the truth. God bless you, and may he keep you looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Shalom. Shalom.